Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Sarah Bivens. And I'm Matthew Bivens. We had a home birth back in 2016. So we started a podcast about it. And then grew it into a birth brand to help future and current parents believe in their success with home birth. This is the place to hear home birth stories along with helpful resources and tips to feel empowered and supported in your birth journey. This is Doing It At Home. Welcome home, friends. If you are interested in empowering home birth conversations, home birth stories, and everything about helping you to feel prepared, excited, and confident about home birth, then this is the place for you. And we're so happy that you found us. If you are new to this space, to the show, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you've been here for a while, if you've been hanging out with us for a minute, we appreciate you so much. Today's episode is Birth as a Rite of Passage. Messages for Birthers and Birth Workers with Bliss Young, LMCPM. Before we get into the episode itself, I just want to reiterate our gratitude for you being here with us and encouraging you to connect with us further, to get more involved in the community. There are a number of really great ways for you to do that, to take advantage of the resources that we have for you and the spaces to connect with other like-minded folks in the home birth community. So you can join our private group. You can follow us on all the channels. You can check out our resources for preparing for home birth, for feeling excited about home birth, learning from other people's experiences, and resources for the partners, because we cannot forget them. They are important. That's why Matthew is a huge part, an equal part of this whole experience, because that's what we realized in our own home birth journey back in 2016, that it was it was an equal effort and a team, a community approach. And so, you know, we really seek to inject that intention into everything that we do here. So it is really a family-centered team approach. So go check out the links in the show notes, or you can follow us on Instagram, doing it at home to find out all of those ways. And if you haven't subscribed already to the show, we would really appreciate that to help us grow the show, grow the space, keep doing all these awesome things over here, keep expanding and growing. And if you feel so inspired to drop a review and a rating, extra thanks. So you're awesome. Thanks so much again. Today's interview with Bliss Young, ooh, it's so powerful, y'all. It's it's really, really amazing. So first of all, where will you hear home birth story details talking about the difference between modern and traditional midwifery, what to do when you feel inspired to enter birth work, and the connections of birth with both sexuality and spirituality. 
Where are you going to hear all those things? Well, in today's episode, because we are chatting with the incredibly inspiring, beautiful ball of light that is Bliss Young. Bliss is a home birth midwife, teacher, circle facilitator, energy healer, Reiki practitioner, a mother, yoga teacher, entrepreneur, breathwork facilitator, placenta encapsulator, and natural living consultant. What can the woman not do? And you've probably heard her alongside Dr. Stu Fishbein, who we've also had on the show, in their podcast, Birthing Instincts. So we get into so many powerful topics in this episode. Bliss shares some of her history into birth work, details of her own births, elements of midwifery, advice for current and future birth workers, because I know we have listeners right now who are starting their journey of birth work, or you have yet to, because so many talk about being inspired by their own birth journeys and getting into birth work as a result of that. So this is a great one for all of you, you know, to plant those seeds. And we also talk about connecting with your sexuality in the birth journey. I encourage you to go check out Bliss's resources. Those are linked in the show notes, her website, her Instagram. Check out the Birthing Instincts podcast and one of Bliss's latest projects, The Innate Journey. Thank you so much to Bliss. So much gratitude and love for her. Quick word from our sponsor and you'll hear our conversation with Bliss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home choose from over 50 options from patriot lighting now through may 19th get ten dollars instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of 100 or more on in stock outdoor wall lights check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on menards.com save big money at menards hi bliss welcome to the podcast how are you I'm great. I'm so excited. I've been a fan of your podcast before. I think I was even doing one myself. So I'm just so tickled to be looking at you and talking to you and sharing our passion for this work. Um, yeah. Thank you for reaching out. Mm. Oh, thank you. I mean, Absolutely. we're we're fans of All yours. Mutual. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. So we appreciate you joining us here. Yeah. So, I mean, where do we start, right? There's so much that we can get into here. We have our plan, sort of, kind of, and we'll see how it goes because I know it's going to be even more awesome than, you know, I originally thought. But I, I guess a great place to start would be a little bit of your origin, a little bit of your your background in history that kind of brings you to where you are now because your your history with birth goes back and and you how your life experiences have have influenced your your movement into birth work is very profound. So I'd love for you to hit some high points there for us. Sure. So um I have been in and around birth for a very long time and um my my first introduction to midwifery was um my older sister and I was 13 and I sat at the foot of the bed at a birth center 
while she delivered my niece, who's now 35. Um, and it was the most miraculous thing I had ever seen watching a baby's head come through her vagina <laughs> was just like mind blowing. Right. Um, no, I had no fear. I was just fascinated. And I can't say that I knew at that moment, I know there's some midwives were like, that was the moment that I knew I wanted to be a midwife, but it wasn't, but I was very intrigued by that. And it, it formed my openness, I think, for midwifery when I got pregnant myself 10 years later or so. And I did what everybody did. You know, I checked my insurance card and I went to the OB that was in my plan and mm-hmm. I was halfway through my pregnancy. I was young. I was 19. I was a single mom. And then I was kind of like, wait a minute, where are the midwives? Like, how come, you know, that wasn't something that I ran across. And so back in the day, we had to look up things in the yellow pages. (laughs) (laughs) This is way before internet. Um, And uh, so I looked up, uh, you know, a birth center in my area and um, switched into a a midwife's care there. There was a group of midwives that I worked with and um, that was who cared for me in the latter part of my pregnancy. And I had a very long, very, very common for first time moms. I had a very long labor um, and I really pushed the midwife to let me come to the birth center probably too early now that I look back and have experience. But I think she like felt for me because I was a single mom. And so she was like, okay, come in. (laughs) So I ended up being at the birth center probably over 24 hours and um, I pushed for six And she finally looked at me and said, I think we need to change it up. I think we need what the hospital has to offer. I think we need to try something different. And I hadn't even thought of that. Like, I just was in it. I was in my labor. Um, But then I was like, okay, great. Let's go. Let's get an epidural. Like, let's, let's have this baby. And uh, she said she was hoping that I would deliver in the car, which I didn't. But um, I ended up having a lot of interventions. I had a forceps delivery and episiotomy and epidural. I was separated from my baby. Um, and in, in that moment, that time, it was confusing to me. Like here I am totally believing in birth, like not having any fear, like really just doing the whole thing. And so I wasn't expecting that, but now that I'm been on this path for as long as I have, and I look back on that experience, I know that it was what was intended for me so that I would understand the full breadth of what women go through. Um, And that midwife did plant a little seed of doubt in my mind. And she told me that my pelvis was abnormal and then I probably would never be able to deliver at home. And uh, so I went for the next seven years believing that my body was broken and that I would never be able to have a home birth. And I met another midwife and I told her my story And she said, you know, you have your pelvis is what we call tried, right? So a baby has passed through my pelvis, even though I needed a little bit of help. And she said, you deserve a trial of labor. Like, Mm. there's no reason why you can't give it a shot. And if you need to go to the hospital, we'll go. So I planned for a home birth for my second. And uh, she came in two and a half hours. So the first one was 36 hours. Um, And she was born in front of the Christmas tree and it was triumphant and empowering and beautiful. And I mean, the pictures of the elation on my face as I'm holding my daughter or just, you know, said everything. 
And um, that really gave me the passion to want to inform and educate and empower women around what is possible with midwifery care. And, um, you know, there were so many other things. Like I learned so much from my midwives in terms of nutrition and lifestyle and how to care for my children naturally. And there was just so much that I couldn't believe that midwives weren't more mainstream. And so I became very passionate as an advocate. Um, I started a nonprofit organization called The Nest, um, which was there to really help expose people to, you know, all kinds of alternative uh, ways of caring for your children, baby wearing and breastfeeding and like, you know, co-sleeping and midwives and all that stuff. Um, And then uh, my third grant was also Born at Home, which was uh, my favorite birth, I think, uh, because I was so, I don't remember pain at all in that experience. And I could feel him moving down the birth canal. I was so connected to him. Um, I was praying in between contractions. It was just, I was so connected. It was a little bit longer. It was six hours instead of, you know, that really fast and furious Mm -hmm. two and a half hour labor. That is just so overwhelming. Um, And I ended up working with those midwives at their birth center and then left to start the nest. And then they asked me a couple of years beyond that, if I would be interested in coming back to manage their birth center. And I said, um, I'm sorry, their, their birth practice, they had closed the birth center and there were no birth centers in Los Angeles. And so I said, you know, if we can partner up and open a birth center, I'm down And so we did, we created something called the Sanctuary Birth and Family Wellness Center, which is pretty well known, surprising to me. Like I talked to people and they're like, oh yeah, I know about your birth center. And that's where I first met um, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, who is my co-host for the podcast that I currently do called Breathing Instincts. We became good friends and colleagues and um, worked together at that birth center for many years. It was open for nine years. And, um, During that time, I started hiring, you know, with my partner, Alex Evangeliti, we started hiring newer midwives, um, what I would call now professional midwives, um, modern midwives. So a lot of these midwives are younger. They maybe don't have children themselves, um, are going through the, the schools now, the MIC accredited schools. And, um, I had no idea how much becoming a professional midwife, because when I delivered my children, first child back in 1992, there wasn't licensure here in California. So in a lot of um, states around the country, there's different legislation for midwifery. It's not standard Mm -hmm. for um, certified professional midwives, which is what I am. Um, So some, some states it's illegal, which means that there's no laws that restrict us. Some it's illegal, believe it or not, still for midwives to practice. Um, And in our state, there just wasn't any legislation. And so then um, I would say probably in the late 890s, um, they came up with legislation here in California and we had licensed midwives. And a lot of people will talk about like how licensure has changed midwifery. and. I realized when I owned this birth center and I started working with these midwives, like I was like, what's happening to 
the practice because mm-hmm. things really started to change. We were doing a lot more tests. We were transporting a lot more people. Um, there was just things happening that I couldn't really stand behind. And I was the one who was bringing in these clients. And then um, the care that they were getting is different than how I was cared for. And so I started pushing back and some of these midwives were like, but you don't have a license. So you don't really, you don't really get it. Hmm. And I said, okay, well, I guess it's time to go get my license. (laughs) So I did, you know, I owned a birth center. I was like, this is a perfect time to get a license because I have all these um, opportunities to do my clinical work. And, um, And so I went to midwifery school and got my license. And in that process, what I realized is that I really didn't want to own a birth center and I really didn't want to work in a group practice. I really wanted to have a small home birth practice where the only people making the decisions about the care that these family were receiving was the collaboration between me and that client. So I work on true informed consent, which means that I'm going to give you all the options and you, you guys are going to make the decisions about what you want to do. And I have to keep in check my fear mm. around any litigation, any um, time, any past experiences. And that takes a lot of work. And I think that that affects a lot of providers, hospital and home midwives, um, on how they practice. So... I started a home birth practice and um, I've been doing that now for seven years and uh, I absolutely love it. Um, I think that people had told me a long time ago that I was going to be a midwife and I was like, no way. I'm here to support midwives. I'm not here to be a midwife. And, you know, our path meanders and it brings us to a place sometimes we're surprised at. But the first time I caught a baby, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) this is it this is where i feel the most comfortable when i walk into a birth room i don't have any fear i really am just madly in love with the process and the intimacy anyways i've been talking a really long time so i'm gonna pause and (laughs) let you love it all i've already i already have a full page of notes (laughs) i know obviously i could just talk (laughs) i could just talk and talk and talk but it's so great it's so great I, i mean There's so many nuggets from what you said. I mean, one of the most recent things that really resonated with me is you talked about the opportunity for you to stay in check with your own stuff as you are collaborating with and and allowing the space for the families you work with to make their own choices. And that's just not, I just don't think you see that at the forefront of a lot of care providers or practitioners in general, that, that their priority really should be Keep your own self taken care of in, you know, whatever sort of verbiage we want to use there, but making sure that you're really solid so that the energy you bring to the space can be as as much of everything you described you're seeking to be as possible. I just I think if if just that one thing was implemented more, oh, that that, so that just really landed with me. And I have a, a greater appreciation for the the type of work that you and others who are aligned with that are doing is you're really working on yourself first and foremost so that you then can be that safe uh, objective space for for those that you're working with and i think if more took that on as as a 
as an MO, took that on as a priority in what they're doing, we would see a, a lot of different results and outcomes and, and, and ways of doing things. Yeah, I think that's the difference between, and it, you know, the language, I'm still trying to figure out, like, if, if I, if I had my way, we would have different um, delineations for different types of midwives, because mm. we have this one word midwife, right. which encompasses CNMs that work in the hospital that were trained through the hospital model. We have this, you know, what I'm calling the modern kind of professional midwife. We have traditional midwives. We have spiritual midwives. We have birth keepers. I mean, there's all of these different terms. And I think it would be really amazing. And it's something that I've been kind of percolating for a few years now. If we had these different types of midwives that you, that the midwife felt like she most resonated with, then it would create this authenticity with families that are looking for midwives to say, oh yeah, that's, that's matches me. Cause we, we do say there's a midwife for every woman, you know, and we're not all meant to, to care for every person. There's a, there's a resonance that happens that is very important for the work that we do because it's so intimate. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do think that that's the difference between this, this kind of traditional classical midwifery and this modern midwifery where it's a profession. It's like, I want to have a schedule. I want to, you know, make money. I want which is all great. It, there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, and the other thing that I'm noticing as I'm, as I'm looking at like chat boards and stuff, as we're starting to talk about some of this stuff with midwives is, you know, we can't escape that the modern world is different than the world where we lived in villages and, you know, midwives were the wise women who had had the children and that like, they were the herbalists, they were the medicine women. Um, we have different things that we have to consider and, you know, <laughs> midwives were burned at the stake. You know, we were, we were a lot of the women that were burned in the Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. So this is in our lineage. This is in, in where we stand inside of this modern world because they still come after us. They put us in jail. They take away our licenses, our livelihood, you know, um, humiliate us, disrespect the work that we do. So those are, those are real legitimate concerns for these midwives. Um, and I understand that I really do, but I, I feel that this is my life work like I really do believe, and I don't know how many of your listeners, you know, believe in God or are spiritual. I'm not a Christian. I'm just a person who is spiritual and on a path. And I really believe that this is my work, um, as a soul on the planet. And not everybody feels that way, but it's for me and I'm a conduit for spirit. And when I walk into the birth room, it's not my ego it's God working through me. Mm. And so I, I'm not going to live in a place of fear about any of that stuff, about litigation and about if it happens for me, if that's my path, then I'm going to walk that path. But I can't stand by and, and not support women being able to birth in their power, because I really believe that if women could feel their power and birth as access to that, the world would be a completely different place. <laughs> you yeah. know, we would have balance 
and we have to all admit the world has gotten a little crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me, this is the way that I am doing my part to like, quote unquote, change the world is supporting women and being in their power. And if you tell them how to push or whether or not they can do that test or how to trust their instincts, you know, like all of these small microaggressions that we do with women, you know, we talk so much about what happens in the hospital, but let's be honest, this shit is happening at home with midwives and, um, it's complex. It's a very complex issue. And so all I can do is stand in my own truth and, um, speak authentically about my beliefs and the people that are meant to connect with me and work with me are going to find me. Um, but it's not for everyone. I wish it was, I wish everybody could, you know, not be afraid when they walk into a birth room. Um, that would be ideal, but we live in a very complex world right now. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I got goosebumps in that a few times, and I really want to hug you. I want to. I want to keep on on this um, on this vein of talking about some of these the nuanced differences within the world of midwifery, um, because I'm curious to to understand a little bit more of. It, we don't necessarily have to, to divide it between traditional and modern midwifery. Right, because as we said, there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of within, nuance in there, yeah. yeah, as you said. So yeah. I just want to understand from uh, the experience of the mom or the family who goes and work with different types of midwives. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you said was you know, litigation and the fear of litigation. And if I'm if I'm sort of interpreting what you're saying, it's like the fear of litigation will cause the midwife to um, to 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 practice or advise in a specific type of way because they're trying to they're, it, it, there's that fear involved versus what you were saying before of just you know removing yourself from the equation and and what you're bringing to the table and simply allowing intuition and offering of, of options. So can you speak a little bit more um, to that to some of those differences that you're seeing as you're in the chat rooms as you're talking to people as you're hearing stories. What are some of the big differences that you're seeing in this sort of new new age midwifery? Well, I mean, it's become like a subcategory of obstetrics. Yeah. So, mm. you know, it's like we're doing all the same tests. We're doing all the same procedures. We're yeah. on the same schedule, um, you know. So and that is it's a, it's fine because then you're offering people 
everything that's available, right? So I want to be able to provide and and offer people everything that's available. So let's give an example of gestational diabetes, right? So it's something that we always test for in the middle of pregnancy. However, there's this really gross drink that is standard in the care that I wouldn't feed a pregnant woman if you paid me. So I don't, you know, I let them know that that's the standard of care. And if they choose that, I'll send them to the lab and they can have that drink at the lab and do it there. I'm not going to carry it and I'll tell them why I don't carry it, but I'm never going to tell them that they shouldn't do it. I'm just going to say, this is not something that I carry here, but here's the option. There are so many other ways to test for gestational diabetes. Um, postprandial, which basically means you have them eat a normal meal and then you follow up with blood work to see how their body is responding to how they eat rather than loading them with all the sugar and artificial colors that if a woman is really healthy and she drinks that drink on an empty stomach because she's supposed to fast, she's going to feel like shit. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you get these numbers that spike because her body is responding to something she's not even eating. So um, they can also, another way of really empowering a woman is give her a home glucose monitor and and a diet diary and have her test after Mm -hmm. she eats. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is she's, she's empowering herself because she's watching what she's eating. She's seeing how she feels. She's doing her own testing. And so she's able to like really connect the dots for herself because women who get gestational diabetes in pregnancy oftentimes will get full-blown diabetes later in life. So you're giving them tools to be able to care for themselves and understand their body. The other thing is they can just decide that they don't want to do this test. So we talk about the risks of gestational diabetes. What are the risk factors? Do they have risk factors? Do they want to test for this? Um, But a lot of times in midwifery practices and definitely in doctor practices, um, that's not an option. They want, like, you have to do these tests in order for the midwife to feel comfortable. And for me, that's just, you know, I, in my third pregnancy, I did no ultrasounds, no tests, none of that stuff. Because for me, I wanted to just enjoy my pregnancy. I wanted to whatever came at me, whatever was meant to be, that was what I was going to accept. And so if a woman comes into my care and wants to have a pregnancy like that, I'm a hundred percent going to support her on that as long as she understands. Um, But there's this thing called defensive charting that midwives talk about They're learning. And basically what it is, is like, you have to chart everything just in case you get sued or you have to go to court or there's a bad outcome. And so we live in this place as midwives where we're like, at any point, someone could take away our license. And so we're always having to protect ourselves. We have to have them sign all these forms. We have to make sure that we chart in a way that, you know, we're protecting ourselves. So it puts you in this mindset of, um, fear. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, you're, so it's a totally different way than going in. And so you might transport sooner. Um, you might make different decisions and you definitely are wanting to skew clients into a particular way of 
managing their care that makes you feel comfortable and makes you feel protected. And again, I understand I'm not blaming anybody for that, but it, you have to be able to see that it would change the way that you care for somebody. Was that, did I help? That was a great point. And I love the, the example of gestational diabetes, because that is something that comes up a lot, especially in our community, you know, the, the inquiry of that and the test itself and, you know, just how something like that could be managed in one route, in one mode of thinking, in one way of what your priorities are and who you're beholden to and what liabilities might be at play um, versus other routes. So I think that was an awesome example. Yeah. And there's hundreds of those. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting because as you describe that, it makes me think, well, the, the midwife who is going to kind of like how you described yourself, you know, you remove your fears uh, from the situation and you just present the options. It's like you have this attitude of, I'm going to accept whatever consequence comes. I'm going to accept that this is part of my path. and I'm going to walk that path if it is litigation or something else. I mean, that's a very um, courageous stance to take as, a, as an individual, as a midwife. Um, and it is interesting to hear you say that obstetrics is sort of reaching its hand into the midwifery world. And now you have people who are, are trying to, to have this defensive charting and make sure that they dot their I's and cross their T's to an extent that is beyond what was you know normal in midwifery to where now it would just, again, I'm, not, I'm trying not to generalize too much, but from what you're saying- yeah, it's hard not to. Yeah, yeah. To to mm-hmm. to practice this sort of traditional midwifery, it's like you just have to. Okay, I'm going to take whatever comes with it because the landscape is changing mm-hmm. so much that if I'm really about supporting from this heart space and allowing things to unfold in the process and 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 allowing mom to tap into her own tuition without guiding things in a certain direction, it sounds like there's risk now involved in that to a greater extent than there was in the past. I guess is what I'm getting at. Well, yeah. I mean, again, like let's go back to like the village, right? Or we just interviewed a woman, um, a midwife who is working with Doctors Without Borders in in South Sudan. And she left practicing here in the States to go and do this work because she can really give her gifts in a way where she's not afraid of that. Yeah. You know, she's able to do twins and triplets and breach and all kinds of things that they've said to to us midwives here in California, especially like, no, you you can't do that. A woman doesn't have the right to choose you to be by her side when we've been, we've been Mm. doing that for millennium. So like all of a sudden, you know, legislation and doctors and a lot of men really, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very patriarchal thing to be able to take birth away from women, Mm -hmm. put it in the hospital, take away their faith in their bodies, make them afraid, medicate them. You know, this is um, very different than how we practiced before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it's, um, it's a shame. Mm -hmm. It's really a shame at what's happening and how much fear there is. And I'll tell you, like when COVID came through and, uh, it really highlighted for me how fearful we are just as a, as a species right now, yeah. you know, and how much we want to control everything. And um, women, we are right. 
mammals. So women are not connected to that animal part of themselves that's connected to nature and connected to the medicine and connected to the land. And midwifery is so much more than just doing informed consent and charting and listening to your baby and giving you these test options. That's a, that's a modern way of trying to control and create structures around something that's so organic and natural and beautiful. Um, And so that's, you know, I tell people like, a great analogy for, for how I practice is, you know, if I was going to sail around the world, I would need to know how to deal with storms and emergencies and how to fix the boat and all of that. But that's not why I'm sailing around the world. I'm sailing around the world because it's beautiful mm-hmm. and amazing. And so as a midwife, I'm supporting these families because it's intimate and beautiful and empowering and connected and a rites of passage and, you know, all of these beautiful things. And then I have my birth bag, you know, and I know how to (laughs) give you Pitocin if you're bleeding too much. And I know how to help your baby transition. And like, I have these things in the background, but that's not why I do this work. And that's not, I don't think the, the thing, obviously you can see that I'm passionate, um, that I'm most passionate about, about this work. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that, and that's not, that's not happening in a lot of birth rooms, whether it be at home or in the hospital. Yeah. And, you know, I talked to a midwife recently who's in Hawaii and she's been practicing for 50 years. And I like to call myself a traditional midwife because I don't, I haven't found the language that works yet. And she said, you can't call yourself a traditional midwife if you are using a Doppler. And um, there was another thing she said, I can't remember right now, but it had me like, like, think about it. Like, Mm. oh yeah. Like real traditional midwives, they didn't use Dopplers, you know, they used, they used other things to listen to the baby. Some of the midwives, traditional midwives are so amazing. They can put their head Mm. on the mom's belly and, and get the heart rate and know what's happening. You know, that's amazing. This is something, this language of midwifery, like the oral tradition of one midwife passing it down to their apprentice it's getting lost. These women are going to start to move on, you know, (laughs) to the, to another world. And so I am very passionate about, um, figuring out how to help these midwives pass down their knowledge. And there's actually a project that I'm starting and it's in the very baby stages. So I don't have a lot of specifics to share with you yet, but I'm gathering midwives who are kind of in this middle ground, who are midwives who have been around for a while and are very passionate about um, traditional midwifery. And we're working on a project to help these um, elder midwives to sit at their feet, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and, and ask them to pass down this knowledge to us so that we can capture it. And it's not, and it doesn't get completely lost and it's not going to be for everybody. Not every Mm -hmm. midwife is going to be interested in that. Not every woman is going to be interested in what I'm saying, but I don't want it to, to be gone, to go extinct, you know? That's amazing. I'm like, okay, how can we support that? What can we do? What can we help record? (laughs) What can we do? Because I'm I'm all for that. One thing that popped out in my brain as you were just describing some of this this current situation, and I think I saw this off of your website. You know, the high tech, low touch energy. Yeah. That's that's what really landed with me as you were describing just kind of the the current state and what 
what is potentially to be lost if this isn't shared and passed down. And it makes me think about the upcoming generations of birth workers and people who are going to be in the birth world in general, you know, because we're not birth workers. I'm not a birth worker, yet we're very yet. immersed in the space. Yet, I know. Ooh, <laughs> I like that. Uh-oh, planting some seeds. I recognize a midwife when I see one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, we might, there might be more conversations. Um, but I, okay, so just within our community, we have had interviews with, and then I know they're, they're forthcoming, the women who have been transformed by their births. And they, oh my gosh, I have, to, I have to do this. I have to be involved somehow. So I think about them and I think about what their opportunities are or what, what their options are as far as leaning into that passion and, and doing it in the way that we're talking about. So I'm wondering what we can offer them or what sort of, I mean, obviously this project is gonna be one thing, but just anything you could offer as far as advice or insight to you know someone listening right now who's, who's on the precipice of that or you know, is, is going through that because that's very common. You know, they, they, something opens up in, in more ways than one in their birth experience and, and it leads them into birth work. Um, how how can they they do it in this aligned way, I guess, is the question. Yes, it's a very good <laughs> question. Um, you know, I I went to a traditional school because I needed to get my license so that I didn't go to jail. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I understood that it was a it was a way for me to get my license and to play the role. And you know, I don't break the I don't break the law. That's one thing I'll be very clear about. Like, I don't, I don't deliver breaches and twins on the side or do anything (laughs) that I'm not supposed to do because, you know, I'm going to fight for the right for us to get that legislation to change. I will. Um, But I'm going to, I'm also going to, you know, do what I need to do within the law because that's the game I have to play at this point. So, um, so you'll probably have to go to a MEEK accredited school if you want to get a license. You don't have to. There are, there is this movement of birth keepers. Indie birth is one of the, um, Mm -hmm. organizations that will help, um, you learn more about being a birth worker without having the license to do that. Um, and there's risk to that, but if you're really passionate about that and that's something that you want to do, there are people out there, find traditional midwives research them, go sit at their feet, ask to be their apprentice. You might have to travel, um, go to other countries to open your mind about like mm-hmm. how limited of a perspective we have here. There are lots of opportunities to go internationally and trap. Um, there's Bali, um, you know, there's lots of places that you can go to do that and study with midwives in other places. Um, I really hope that at some point, uh, you know, I have a program through these traditional midwives or through some of the work that I'm doing with these kind of middle midwives to be able to have like an adjunct. So you have the Mika accredited school and you go and you get your license. And then if you want to learn more about traditional midwifery, you come and you kind of take this additional like certification or something. Um, But again, like I said, it's in very early stages, Um, but you just have to, you have to do your soul's work too. You know, you just have to really tap into what feels true to you and find your tribe. And, um, you know, that's one of the ways that like the internet and all of that stuff is beautiful because we can connect with people all over the world. And so I think you have to have the courage to speak your truth 
and to be out about it so that you can find other like-minded people. Because if you're afraid to really be true to yourself, then no one's going to know that you resonate on that perspective. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. It makes so much sense. Yeah. And, um, I, I just like yesterday I finished, um, what we called the innate journey. Innate journey is the, um, childbirth education class that I started with, um, another amazing birth worker, Hayes. Um, and it was originally created to bring in all of the things into childbirth education for couples that were preparing for birth, mainly my couples, but you know, we kind of have a big vision of where we want to take it. So, um, it was to bring in all of the stuff that we felt was missing. So the sacred of birth, the ritual of birth, Mm. how sexuality is so important through prenatal, um, how, how your partner shows up in the birth room, what postpartum looks like for you as a couple, how we keep couples together because so many couples um, break up in the first year after a baby is born. And so like, that was really important to us to weave in. And then we had all of these birth workers that were like, can we come audit your class? Can we come see what you guys are doing? And so we decided, you know what, let's just create something for birth workers in particular. And we did one in LA last year. And then this weekend in Santa Barbara, we did a retreat over two days with, um, with a, with a group of birth workers and you guys, like besides the traditional midwifery stuff, this is my like passion because what I get to do is I get to fill up these birth workers, inspire them, connect them to their own passion, their own sexuality, their own authenticity, and um, send them back out. They all came up with projects that they're going to fulfill before the end of this year. And then you send them back out into the world, like lit up and inspired. And then they get to like touch all these people, you know? Um, So it, I'm pretty, I'm pretty lit up about this workshop. So we'll be doing more retreats. I think we're going to do one in Bozeman, Montana next, um, next year. And, and that one might be a little bit longer. Um, so That's stay tuned, I guess. Nice. I have some things in the works. Heck yeah. I'm like, oh, I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Uh, you should come. <laughs> that one thing I love that you mentioned this is, is filling up the birth workers because that's a perspective of mine that's been opened up in the years of doing this show. You know, we started out by sharing the birth stories. And so, of course, naturally, it's like, how can we empower the parents? Like, how can we empower pregnant mothers? How can we do that? Yes, that's super important. And now I'm in this vein of thinking, you know, a couple years into this, okay, how can we support birth workers more? Because we really need to do that. Because so many of them, I feel like, get burnt out. I mean, just naturally. Um, Resentful even to, you know, yeah. whether it's to the system yeah. or to their own clients because of just, you know, whether they're not valuing their services or, you know, they're not they're not getting paid enough, they can't pay their bills, you know, things like that. I'm like, gosh, we need to support birth workers too. I mean, everyone needs the support, but how can we have tailored, specific uh, energy and resources and love poured into them because that's going to be, going back to what we talked about earlier, if you're taking care of you, then you can be that strong space holder for the families and for the birthers. So, ooh, yeah, I am I'm feeling you on that. I think I'm I'm really excited to hear more of what comes out of that. Thank you. Yeah, and you know, it it's true that uh, I think the average um 
life uh, lifespan, I was yeah. going to say, the average career for a midwife these days is five years. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. Five years before they are done and yeah. they want to throw their phone in the ocean and never come back. <laughs> um, wow. So, you know, we've got to find boundaries. We've yeah. got to learn about self-care um, and really knowing how to balance out like the giving because we give so much yeah. of ourselves yeah. Yeah. and how to fill our cup up again. Um, and yeah, it's, it's invaluable work for um, midwives and doulas, especially, you know, those of us who are on call yeah. to, to be able to figure out like how to really care for ourselves and, and give in the ways that we want to give in a healthy and balanced way. Mm. Yes, it's imperative mm -hmm. because you, you know, by five years, you're just starting to yeah. really like gain some mastery yeah. mm -hmm. and then you retire. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, we're missing out on all that wisdom that they're gaining as well when we lose them from burnout. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to something you said when you were talking about your retreat and this, this other um, passion that you have in supporting birth workers and people. And it's the sexuality component and the sexual energy. Ooh. Can you talk a little bit about that and how how you see that all plays a part, obviously in conception and all of that, but just in, in, in birth and living your fullest life in general. Can you talk to us about that? I'd love to. I'd love to talk about sex, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Let's get <laughs> in it. Ask me about that anytime. Um, well, we, you know, in, in the weekend, we had to connect the birth workers with their own sexuality because what we're saying is if you're disconnected from your sexuality, how are you going to broach this conversation with your clients? Right. You're going to be awkward. You're not going to want to talk about it, you know? So we had to get them like reconnected with that. But as parents who are coming to the innate journey class, um, you know, what we talk about is that intimacy. Well, first of all, in birth, oxytocin is the main hormone that initiates labor and keeps labor flowing naturally. So a lot of times when we're preparing partners, specifically men, but you know, cause if it's a same sex partner, they're going to understand this a little bit more than, you know, men and women are different. And so mm -hmm. sometimes we have to help men because this is a really intense experience that they're going through with their partner. And it's, um, it's like, how do you, how do you quarterback a game you've never played? Right. Wow. So we're really trying to help them understand this. And the great thing about when you start to talk to them about the sexuality piece is what we're telling men is like, you already know how to open her up how to soften her, how to, how to help her feel aroused. Like you, you've done this many times. So you're just going to bring that to the birth room because if she feels soft and open and relaxed, the hormones are going to flow and everything's going to move forward. And so we tell men that and they're like, Oh, I can do that. That's not hard. Right. Like that becomes an easy thing for them. So then you just help them start to take some owner and mastery over the space, whether it's in the hospital, easier to do at home, obviously, right? Because you don't feel like someone's coming in and out and it's your space and you could close your bedroom door. You could go in your own shower, like those things. It's easier for you to take a little bit more ownership in that arena. But if you help empower them, like this is your birth, this is your space. 
open mouth kissing softens the throat. The throat and the yoni are connected. Um, you know, all of this helps things move forward naturally. So if you're not having sex in pregnancy and you're not feeling connected in pregnancy and you're disengaged from this part of it, how are you going to just drop into the birth room and all of a sudden bring your magic? Yep. Like it's facilitating it. So we talk about Tantra. We talk about things that don't necessarily have to do with like penetration. Right. How do you have intimacy? Because you're not going to be able to have sex right. for six weeks or longer. Sometimes women take a lot longer. How do you, how do you keep that intimacy and meet each other's needs as a couple without just the orgasm and the penetration? So it starts in pregnancy and it moves through this amazing, connected, beautiful experience that you have in the birth room together. And then you can bring that through to your relationship, that through line. Um, so again, like I said, I like to talk about sex. We could go, like, we could have a whole episode on this. We certainly um, can. But, we call them sex look, episodes. Yeah, we, we talk <laughs> about it on our show. And one thing yeah. I want I want to ask you is, all right, so what? A, how do you help the the individual or the couple who has not connected yet with the importance of their sexuality and their sexual energy. Because for somebody who understands and, and has their own, um, it has its own importance to them in their lives, then they might say, okay, wow, thank you for, for highlighting to us that it's important for us to, to do this. But then there's other folks who just may not, they don't have that same sort of connection or context around it. And sex was just for making the baby. So if sex is for making the baby, we, we made the baby. Why do we need to continue to engage? Can you talk to a little bit for that individual and, and really share from your perspective the importance of why we want to cultivate this energy, cultivate this connection with ourselves and with our partner? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I would say, you know, most people that you talk to enjoy sex. Most people, mm -hmm. there are some people who, you know, are asexual or maybe they just are procreating. But I would say that probably the work that I'm doing is, is for people who are really, they know that yeah. they love sex, not that it's just something that is um, fun, but something that connects them with their partner and also connects them to their bodies. Um, and then you can go another step further and connects you to the divine, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So there, those are probably the people who are going to be most interested in the work that I'm doing, but for women, especially as someone who's a, who's a, you know, a provider of healthcare for women, like having connection to our sexuality and having orgasms on a regular basis is actually really healthy for, for, for our everything, how we're connected, how we move into menopause. Like it's all so connected. Um, and because, you know, there's like atrophy and all kinds of stuff that happens in menopause. That's a lot of times having to do with not being connected to your own sexuality and not having regular orgasms and pleasure. Mm. So, and, and owning and understanding that. Um, so you can go down that road. You can go down the road of being connected and intimate with each other, keeping the family together by having intimacy. And again, yeah. this is not necessarily just about penetration or orgasms. This is about loving and connection and physical intimacy with your partner. 
Um, and if someone is so disconnected from desiring that, I would probably ask them to go a little bit deeper with doing some work about what, where their block is, because something happened. There's some trauma, you know, in, in their space. And I can only do so much. I'm not a therapist. Although we do, we do put on that hat a lot, but there are some boundaries, you know, you get Mm -hmm. to a certain point with some people and you're like, okay, I'm going to direct you to do some other work because this is kind of beyond where I'm at. Um, But the other thing is that oxytocin play that happens in labor. If someone, if someone's wanting a hospital delivery and they're wanting to be medicated and they, the dad, you know, is going to kind of sit back and watch TV. That's, that's a different experience than what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, someone who really wants to be present and available and connected and have a really involved experience. um, They're going to have to understand how, the intimacy and the, and the safety and the openness and the oxytocin is going to affect a labor moving forward in a straightforward way. Yeah. It's just yeah. part of it. I get yeah. that. You know, the, the, <clears throat> the genesis of the question that I asked you was for Sarah and I, in our relationship, mm-hmm. definitely in our pregnancy and birth, sex and, and sexual energy and that sexual connection with ourselves and with one another was mm-hmm. so important. It was so important. And so it was when our midwives were talking about, you know, have sex when when the contractions start or when Sarah, you realize you're in labor. It's like, have sex. What, what got baby in will get baby out. For us, it was, oh, we were planning on doing that already. Like that's that's a part of, <laughs> it's a part of who we are. And yeah, it's a part of who we are now. It wasn't a part of who we were 10 years ago because right. we hadn't yet individually really connected deeply and intimately with with our sexual energy and our sexual you know who we are as sexual beings it it took time for us to get there to where now everything you say we're just nodding along like oh yep yep it all sounds amazing amazing. so that's where my question was coming from because for us it was a process (laughs) to get there and i appreciate what you're saying like you know you work so well with people who already are are somewhat in that ballpark they're already thinking that way and and they want help potentially accessing and bringing more of that out. Um, and uh, I think it's it's a reason why we have a number of episodes in our podcast that are dedicated to sex yeah. and intimacy and you know how to keep the intimacy and the connection going. It, it's it's a big part of it's a big part of all of it for us. So um, yeah. yeah, I mean, look at you guys. You you know you work together. You have a long term marriage. You know that has obviously been a part of what you would say is the success of your relationship. So people who are looking to you as kind of mentors, like, how do you guys do it? That's a key part for you. And so you kind of can go back and speak to that. It's going to continue to evolve, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's, I'm sure that that evolution is part of what has kept your relationship and your marriage healthy. It is, it yes. is. And I think yeah. it's so fantastic that you have that as part of this, you know, the coursework and the retreats that you're doing um, because there's so much more than letting people know about the processes of birth and different things like that. So I'm, Sarah was taking notes when yeah. you were talking about your retreat and, and, and what you're doing. And I'm like, oh, I'm excited too because it's right down our alley. Oh yeah. <laughs> it just, it just piques my interest and I love sure. that, that you're out there doing that type of work. Great, thank you. Me too. 
One final thing that I would love to close out here with is actually harkening back to one of the earlier things that you said, and I I marked it because I'm like, oh, this is a great learning opportunity, especially for listeners. You talked about your first birth being exactly what was intended for you. And that's something I hold that space for for everyone in terms of processing their birth, especially those that didn't go necessarily the way that they planned. You know, we have a lot of conversations here, whether it's elements of birth trauma or hospital transfers that end up in in a lot of convoluted emotions and and processing and unpacking. I was just wondering if you could, because you made that connection for yourself of what it was intended for, you know, because it it contributed to that breadth of knowledge you have now in what you do and and who you be in the space that you hold. Is there anything that you could offer for someone that could be helpful in terms of unpacking and making that connection of why their birth was intended for them, a possibility for them to come to that understanding for themselves, if for nothing else but for healing and and how it can integrate into their life, no matter what they do, they don't have to be a birth worker, but just how someone can see how their how their birth unfolded and how it was intended for them. You know, people ask me a lot of a lot of perspectives that I have and I cannot separate the journey that I've been on without talking about God. Mm. So for me, we are um we're a soul that has come into this body and is on this path, this life school to be able to learn and evolve. And um, midwifery, obviously, for me, is that part of my path. And each step along the way is what has brought me to being on this path. So not everybody might be a midwife, like you said, you might be a mom, you might have some other passion out in the world that you're that you're doing. And each time you come and you face a challenge, it's an opportunity for growth. And so I think it's about creating that context of like every time you kind of get up against something and you and you're pushed or you're feeling the friction is to be able to look at it and go, Oh, okay. What is there to learn? What is, what is available for me inside of this? Um, you know, I, I lost my daughter to gun violence right before the pandemic. And, um, I know that it's something that most people will look at and they'll be like, I I could never lose a child. I don't know how to survive that. It's the unimaginable and it's pretty shitty that's true. And, um, it has been a really intense growth period for me in how do I get back to this work? How do I get back to finding passion again? Um, how do I find joy and beauty again in the world, you know? And so, you know, you, you have an experience like that and then you decide, you make a decision, you choose. I'm going to find a way to live again. I'm going to find a way to push through this. And I think that every time as a human being, and there are lots of places, there are a lot of people suffering. There's a lot of grief right now. There's, you know, we're at it. We're in a time post pandemic, if we can call it post, um, you know, there's a collective grieving of what has been lost. 
And so I think we're all up against this kind of edge, whether it's your, you know, the birth that didn't go the way you wanted or, you know, broken marriages or, you know, all of the things that are going on right now. Um, they're, they're opportunities to be able to grow as human beings and to deepen who we are. And, um, it's a hard pill to swallow sometimes, like when your birth doesn't go the way that you expected it to, especially if you planned and you thought that, you know, you understood everything and you did all the things and you checked all the boxes. Um, and it doesn't always make sense right away. And I think that's the other thing is to have the patience to know, like, if you hold that context, there's a reason for this it's going to show itself. It might be years or decades down the road that it comes together and you're like, Oh, that's the part, you know, that's woven now into the fabric of who I am. But when you look for it, when you have enough of that positive mindset to be able to like hold the space for it and look for it, it's going to come to you in such a beautiful way eventually, rather than life just sucks and Hmm. it's not meant to be. And that person sucks. And Hmm. I, you know, turning it on yourself, I didn't do enough or, you know, however you might uh, turn that into a negative. If you hold the space for something beautiful to come, it will come. Thank you so much. I'm I'm really glad I asked that because that was really powerful. I appreciate you so much in, in your candor and your vulnerability and transparency and just the full on open heartedness that I get from you. I mm, mean, yeah. in my ears, in front of me right now on the screen, it is just it is full, fully expressed and and out there. And I get it when you're coming from that space then and I be- this is just my interpretation of you that you can be in that unapologetic space. You know, not unapologetic like middle finger to whoever doesn't like it, but unapologetic in the sense of this is what it is and whoever is a match for it will come. And, and that's, that's what it is. And I'm, I'm so inspired. I'm so grateful to have this conversation with you that you are out there continuing to do what you do. Um, and I'm all about whatever, whatever I need to do or what space I need to be in to, to keep fanning that flame of what you've got going on, because it is, it is incredible. So I'm just, I'm so grateful for this opportunity in this moment and to share this and to be connected. This has been a really, really magical day for me. Oh, thank you. I'm very honored. And, um, you know, I, there was a point in the last year or so where I was like, am I ever going to get my passion back? And it's so interesting over the last, like, I think like eight weeks, maybe as I'm starting to land again from my trip, I've been gone for eight months on the road. Um, I can tell it's back. And so it's so (laughs) exciting for me to know that I have more to give and that, Um, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be something really interesting coming out of this last part of my life here. So thank you for the opportunity to share with you and with the people who listen to your podcast. Um, I'm, I'm honored, truly honored. Quick note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, 
please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved, Dadages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgins. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.